You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to the Philip Jordan Show. I'm your host, Philip Jordan, in studio host and producer of Dutton Wolves Football on I6.9, the legend and Auburn writer for last word on college football. On today's show, we'll look at Kalen DeBoer. Staff at Alabama seems to be taking shape. We'll look at that. I'll be joined by Blake Level from Established the Pass in Southeastern 14. We'll be diving into the NFL wildcard wild round playoffs. We'll talk about that. And then we'll check in on the Arkansas Razorbacks with an off-season look-in with Connor Goodson from Razorback Wire. All that and more on today's edition of The Phil Jordan Show. You can check out The Phil Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. All right, so I wanted to open the show before we get to the two guest interviews today. I want to talk about Kalen DeBoer a little bit. So I have not done a show since he got hired. Uh, we talked about a little bit with A.J. Spur last week what it, when his name was popping up as a candidate, but I haven't done one since the announcement on Friday that he was going to be the head coach. Didn't do a show early in the week on Monday. This is Wednesday, so the first show of the week. Uh, I think Kalen DeBoer is a really good coach. I think Alabama got a good coach here. I do not think he was the top candidate. I think Dan Lanning was there. I think perhaps maybe Steve Sarkeesian was another name they may have wanted, uh, but I, I do not believe Kalen DeBoer is the number one option for Alabama. But I think I do think he's a really good coach. Obviously, the questions are there. You're looking at a guy that um, you're wondering how can he do recruiting-wise in the Southeast. That's an obvious question. I have issues with Saban still being in a building. Obviously, if you're Alabama, you're not going to tell Nick Saban no, but at the same time, um, you really want Coach DeBoer to do his own thing. Now, his staff-wise, I think I really like what he's doing. He's bringing in his coordinator from Washington, Ryan Grubbs coming in, so Tommy Reese is out the door. We'll see what happens with him and his coaching future. And then they're bringing in uh, South Alabama head coach, Kane Womack, is going to take over. As defense coordinator, of course, he was defense coordinator at Indiana when Kalen DeBoer was offense coordinator there at Indiana. And then in was it 2020, um, was up for the Broyles Award for the top assistant in college football. So he's really good defense coordinator. Look at first, I was like, wow, leaving a head coaching job at South Alabama. But you also look at it from this standpoint. He did a good job at South Alabama. They won 10 games in 2022, won their first bowl game as a program this past year. Disappointing year going 7-6, but still solid, solid job done there at South Alabama. Now you go to Alabama, defense coordinator, you do a great job there. You are for sure going to get a head coach job at a power conference. So done really, really well there. He's bringing in some of his Washington guys with him, but also keeping some guys on staff as well with SEC ties. Uh, running back coach Robert Gillespie and defense line coach Freddie Roach are two of those. Now, looking at this team, I do wonder how does Jalen Miro fit into the Kalen DeBoer 
offense. How, how will that work? I don't see him as the type of quarterback that he usually would have, but we'll see what happens there. I mean, uh, Will Rogers is sitting out there in the transfer portal. He was going to go to Washington to play in that offense. Uh, would he go to Alabama? Would Alabama want him? Is that somebody they would want to bring in? We'll see. Will Rogers will land somewhere, but we shall see. Now, Alabama has had some players, too, hit the portal. Uh, wide receiver Isaiah, Isaiah Bond is one. He's gone off to Texas. Uh, just recently this week, defensive back Trey Amos, he announced he was going to hit the portal. He was sitting behind Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold. He expected to have a lot of playing time. Uh, he played for McKinstry in the SEC title game when he was injured. Rodell Williams is headed to Florida State. The running back there and tied in Amari Nonblack is another player that has announced. You got a Caleb Downs. The rumors are out there. What is he going to do? With Javarius Robinson, the DB's coach, who they were talking to to be defense coordinator before they bring in Womack. Now you got to look at with that, him going to Georgia. Could that lead Caleb Downs to Georgia? There's a lot of questions and stuff in the air uh, with the whole Caleb DeBoer, but we shall see. It should be. It's going to be an interesting uh, time with staff and what they do recruiting. And the spring is going to be one with a lot of question marks, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, real quickly, on the Auburn side of things, of course, you know all the staff changes going in. Ron Roberts officially co-defensive coordinator there at Florida. We'll see where Auburn goes with that. Of course, Hugh Freeze taking over to play calling. Cadillac Williams, Zach Etheridge no longer on staff at the same time with that. Uh, Charles Kelly is officially part of the staff. Uh, Weston McGriff is coming back to the staff. He had left. Now he's coming back. So interesting stuff there for Auburn. Uh, two players entered the portal on Tuesday, uh, linebacker Cam Riley and defensive back Donovan Kaufman. And defensive back, I mean, that's, Auburn's got to rebuild that secondary after what they lost headed to the NFL draft. But anyways, uh, now we're going to jump into the interviews. Uh, first up, I will be joined by Blake Lovell. Of course, uh, you can check him out. Most people know him from Southeast 14, but uh, we also are going to talk some NFL. Blake has his NFL podcast established the pass. Uh, we will talk NFL wild card round from this past weekend. And then after that, we'll do an all-season check-in on the Arkansas Razorbacks with Connor Goodson from Razorback Wire. And then I will close up the show after those two interviews here on the Phil Jordan Show. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just a beginning all 
Everybody, my first guest today is uh, Blake Lovell. You can check him out over on the Established to Pass podcast. And also, uh, everybody knows him over at Southeastern 14, talking all things SEC over there. We are now deep in the college basketball season. But, uh, Blake, I appreciate you, you coming on. I'm looking forward to kind of unpacking a super wild card weekend with you. Yeah, I always enjoy the conversation, Philip. Like you said, it's uh, it's always an interesting mix because, you know, most of the SEC people probably don't even know I, that I do a lot in, in the NFL, but we've been doing the – Established the past podcast, me and Dylan Reagan for oh my goodness, I want to say it's almost it's over four years now, I think. Um, so yeah, it's it's always fun this time of year because you and I were talking before we record. It's like you get the overlap with the NFL and, and college basketball going on, but um, yeah, NFL. I feel like it's kind of that point where NFL is another beast. It takes priority over everything, and uh, we especially saw that on Super Wild Card Weekend, especially with the way that you know the NFL like they were excited about the fact that they got the double headers on three straight days um you know because of the bills and steelers game being moved so yeah always a, a fun time of year you, you know we're getting to monday games next year right oh i'm sure yeah <laughs> no doubt uh, and we know we're getting a peacock game next year too because for everybody that's complaining about peacock i mean you heard mike Tarico on the broadcast what was that i don't know sunday night game i guess reeling off all the different metrics that they, you know, NBC and Peacock had broken just by putting that Chiefs and Dolphins game on there. I know a lot of people are not happy about it, but guarantee you, you're, you're probably getting more than one of those games um, given the way that thing did. So, Yeah, I told everybody, I said, uh, they said, did you did you uh, sign up for Peacock? I said, I have Peacock because I want the WWE Network. I'm a wrestling That's fan. That's what, hey, so, me too. That's the only reason I have Peacock. Like we have people in the family saying, does anyone have Peacock around here? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course I haven't. Like, I, I'm, I'm back watching. I'm watching like the old '80s wrestling. I'm watching stuff from the '90s. Um, yeah. So like that. That was the only reason. I I can't say I've ever watched anything on Peacock that does not relate to professional wrestling. So. Yeah, that's a uh, that's kind of where I'm at on it too as well. Uh, the five ninety nine. I got the one with ads. I got the cheapest one I could <laughs> yeah, get, but I, I do have it. <laughs> Hey, it's all good. It's better than uh, it's, uh, the ads are not as bad as you're watching on regular TV. That's the way yeah. I look at it. So, uh, Walker weekend, as we said, the six games over three days. Uh, what surprised you the most over the weekend? Well, I mean, I, there's there's a lot of options here, isn't there? Like that's yes. the interesting thing is there are quite a few options uh, to choose from. I guess you know what I predicted the Texans to to beat the Browns by by 31 points, probably not, but if you could have said with the injuries and just, you know, the toll on the Browns eventually catch up to them against a red hot team that has an absolute stud for a quarterback. Sure. You could see that happen. It's a road game, all that. Um, could we have seen the Eagles, you know, doing what they did to the, against the bucks? I mean, I, I didn't think it was going to happen, but could we have put it together and say, yes, probably sure. The way the Eagles have been playing. I mean, you could have seen them have the exact result they had. Because the Bucks have been playing well, the Eagles have not been playing well, and it was surprising, but it happened, and, and I wasn't as shocked as maybe I thought I'd been. But of course, the one I think that you have to say is the most stunning, and I know it's like people can say all this about the Cowboys and say, well, they do this every year and all this, but still, it's not just that it happened, it's how it happened. Um, and again, that the game was in Arlington. Had this been in Green Bay, a different story, right? But the fact that this is in Arlington, and they just get absolutely routed by a Packers team that not that long ago, you know, felt like a team that was just going absolutely nowhere. And of course, give them credit. You know, they finished the season strong to put themselves in a position to get there. 
but like it wasn't even pretty. Like you know, like they struggled against Carolina. They struggled against the Bears. Um, you know, they lost the game to the Giants. They lost the game to the Bucks. Like it didn't even feel like the Packers were playing that well coming into this thing. They won games, but you didn't feel like they were still to that level to be able to go in and do this to a team like the Cowboys, who, given all their past history, you know, struggles in the playoffs and all that, you just didn't think this could happen. And so I would say that has to be the biggest one because, again, even if I was also of the belief that we saw the Cowboys lose a lot of games to great teams this season, that was kind of the knock. You didn't think they'd get the Super Bowl because of how they played in some of those games against great teams. Um, I just didn't see this coming. <laughs> so uh, that, that would probably top the list for me. Yeah, I didn't either. It look, I'll, my audience knows this, but I'll just be honest with everybody. I am a Packers fan, yeah. So that's just that's just there, you know. So I, I will remain professional during this conversation. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I picked the, the Cowboys when I thought, okay, this is a this is a win for the Packers just getting to the playoffs. Year one, Jordan. I mean, this team is so young. I mean, just yeah. this is this is a stepping stone for them just getting to the postseason. Dallas averaging 37 points per game. They've won 16 games at home. And while when they go on the road, they don't look great at home. They felt like an almost unbeatable team. Yeah. But this game was different. And I think probably the biggest thing here, Packers taking the ball first. It's getting on the, the scoreboard first. And look, I I, I I was watching it with uh with my parents, the game. I, we saw when Jerry Jones almost at halftime turned around. I looked over at my parents and said, did he just tell them to fire Mike McCarthy at halftime? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. So, and it's just, you know, and then I guess it's also to say just the maturation of Jordan Love. I mean, just yeah. where he's come. I, and he gets Aaron Rodgers comparisons a lot. I get it because that's who he's following. Man, I see Brett Favre. That's just who I see with him. But uh, what, what's been your thoughts on Jordan Love this year? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, he was someone, I think, very early on. You could see that there was the, like you said, the maturation process, the learning, and really trying to figure out exactly how this was going to go within the offense. Because you could look early and you could just see all those games. What was it? I think he had five games in a row with an interception. Mm -hmm. um, you know, had I think he had three multi interception games uh in those first i don't know i think his first eight or nine weeks of the season but since then right he's thrown one interception in the last what is it eight games um mm -hmm. like he's just been you know again that comes with the process of being able to read defenses better being able to sort of understand coverage a little bit better where to throw the ball where not to throw the ball how to get yourself out of some of those spots where it's like okay maybe six weeks ago i would have thrown the ball into that coverage now it's like i'll just throw it away or, you know, I'll take off and run with it. Like, and I think that's kind of one of the things that has really been a little bit different. Um, you know, it, it's helped a little bit too. I think they protected him a little bit better uh, over the past, again, down the stretch here. I think that's helped. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that's been, and I'll say this, this part too, of course it relates to Jordan Love, but I've thought all season long, even going back to earlier in the season, you know, we can make, some of those where, you know, guys dropping balls and those kind of things. But I think the group around him has, is way better than anyone kind of gave them credit for for a while there, whether it mm -hmm. is, you know, obviously Romeo Dobbs and what he did in the game against the Cowboys. But, you know, we've seen what he can do. We know the upsides there. Um, you know, Wicks, Jaden Reed. I know Jaden Reed, you know, didn't catch a ball against the Cowboys, but he's someone else, right, that 
it's just remarkable to kind of see, um, I think, how the weapons around him have developed. And, and again, this has been kind of been a season for Christian Watson where, you know, there have been some highs, there have been some lows, um, you know, didn't play the entire season, so that didn't necessarily help. But you've seen these other guys kind of step up. And so, yeah, it's all kind of combined into this being a, quite a run uh, for, for the Packers getting to this point. So, yeah, it's got to be, you know, the question now that we're recording this on Tuesday evening uh, at around uh, at between 5 30 and 6 o'clock Central Time. Um, the Cowboys win their next head coach. Will Mike McCarthy be fired? Uh, we all know the Bill Belichick is thing is floating out there for everybody. So, I think that's kind of like an interesting thing with the Cowboys now is just, you know, they're America's team. Everybody loves to talk about the Cowboys. I mean, if if you're talking NFL, you've got to talk about the Cowboys. I mean, that's yeah. you know they they play in the hits. I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting next couple of days, I think, to see if Jerry Jones pulls the trigger and they do fire Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like that's one of those games when you you know Jerry Jones. It's hard for me to imagine that that they can come back from that as mm-hmm. a you know a relationship between a, an owner and a head coach. And I think that's one where, again, because it was so stunning how it was done, it'd been different if they lost by a field goal or something. But the way it happened, and, and we, we know the coaches that are out there that are available, um, big-name guys. And so could that be one where he's like, hey, we don't have a choice here. We're about to make a move, and let's go get the guy we think um, can lead us to, to the next – phase but like we've been saying that for how long now it's just you know it's a common theme and so i i think mike mccarthy's a good coach um but this was the wrong loss probably at the wrong time for him uh job security wise yeah absolutely they probably didn't win this thing they're gonna win but uh, you talked about the eagles and that was surprising too this is a team that was 10 and 1 and then Tampa Bay, I, I went and looked in this game. I thought both teams were struggling coming in. I mean, you look yeah. at Tampa Bay won nine to nothing over a bad Carolina team. Yeah. And then how the Eagles played against the Giants to close out the year. You know, that was an embarrassment because they were trying to win that game. But the way they played, I mean, Jalen Hurts struggled. I mean, they, they could not handle the blitz and then just the tackling in the secondary. I mean, I was wondering, part, does this team even want to be here? And then Mayfield torches them. It's, it's just, weird and strange what happened to this team 10 and one and then to fall off the way they did into the year at end of the season yeah i mean this team i think we'll look back on and be like you know that there will be stories about this team for years to come uh and not you know again not in the way you want that to happen because it is remarkable like you said think about they they beat the bills in overtime in that Mm -hmm. game great game just you know tremendous stuff great game and then from there, it's like, what on earth happened to this team? Because um, even the game they won against the Giants, it was like they, they struggled a little bit in that game. Like there, there were times where you're like, wait a second, like what what's happening here? Mm-hmm. Um, sure, could, could people? And, and that was the the first game. Of course, they lost the last game of the season to the Giants, um, the one they won on Christmas. But I mean, sure, you could say, okay, no AJ Brown, that makes it tougher. But this. To me, this had nothing to do with A.J. Brown. This was mm-hmm. a much deeper problem with this team. And again, there's just no reason that should happen when you have a team that's built the way the Eagles are built. Um, and like you said, it just when you're watching it, it's hard not to look at it and say, boy, this team has lost whatever it is that they had those first you know, 11 weeks of the season or whatever it was. They just they don't have it anymore whatever that was again you could you could pick and choose different characteristics probably and 
there, there may be a situation where you know, multiple of them apply, I think, to this particular team, but it wasn't there. And, you know, we kind of saw early in the season, it feels like they were able to kind of turn things up to that next gear when they needed to. If they found themselves, you know, in a hole or whatever. We saw that last year time and time again. But down the stretch, they could never do it. And again, I mean, some of these games weren't even close. Um, really, I mean, really, the majority of the games were not even close down the stretch when they're getting beat 42 to 19, you know, to the Niners, 33 to 13 against the uh, to the Cowboys, the 27-10 game against the Giants, and then of course this one against the Bucks. So I don't know what happened either. I'm sure Nick Sirianni um, maybe has a good idea, but whatever it was, he just could not fix it. Uh, and it'll be an interesting offseason, I think, for the Eagles after something like that because, um, you know, we know kind of how the roster is structured and who could return, who may not return, and those kind of things. But, yeah, this is um, one of the more disappointing, I think, teams that we've seen in a while just based on how they started the season. You know, probably the – well, obviously the best game, probably the coolest moment too, just the Lions and the Rams. Uh, these, you know, two former – these quarterbacks going up against their former team, uh, golf going yeah. up against the Rams, and then Stafford going up against – the Lions and just that crowd. I mean, watching it on TV, you could yeah. feel the energy and, and passion because, hey, I mean, they haven't seen a playoff win in, what, 30 years. Uh, it's been a long time for them. Um, what was your takeaway from this one? Just, you know, Jared Goff, solid, 22 or 27, 277, one touchdown. I thought we were going to get into 40s the way the first half went. <laughs> yeah. It was 21 to 17 at halftime. I was like, okay, this is going to be last ball, but second half, Field goal fast, and then the lines. Every time the defense had to step up and make a stop, they held the Rams out of the end zone and forced field goals. Uh, what, what stood out to you with that? Yeah, I mean, I thought this had a great chance to be the best game of the group, and obviously it wound up being that way score wise. But it was just because you just knew, right? Detroit had waited so long to get this playoff. Time. You knew it was going to go right down to the very end. It was going to be a grind, no matter how well the Lions played. You just had confidence, again, in the way the Rams have been playing as well. And, again, that's another team that kind of earned their spot to get here. And so I think when you looked at it, we talk about a tale of two halves of the season, right, for for the Eagles and the Rams. Uh, you're talking about going in opposite directions. Um, they were so good, you know, in the, in the back half of the season and able to pull out, you know, really good wins. Um, you know, won some close games down the stretch to put themselves in this position. And so you just felt like they had a lot of momentum going into this and the way Puka's played. Um, Stafford's return game, all of those elements. And I thought, you know, it's one of those things too, where it's like the Rams, they they may have beaten uh, a couple of these other teams on, you know, on the wild card round, but they just happened to run into a Lions team that just refused to kind of lose this game. Because like you said, just being able to hold, um, the defense played well on both sides, like you mentioned in the second half. And this just became a game where it's like, hey, can the Lions sort of hold on here? Can they find a way to get this thing done? They did. Um, I know it was kind of mentioned early. I don't remember exactly at what point in the game, but it's like, okay, Jared Goff just made one of those throws where it's like, oh, you've had such a good game. Don't make that throw again. Like, don't make that throw. And, you know, he winds up, you know, going with a clean sheet, right, in terms of, like, the the interceptions. I know he had one fumble, but I don't, I don't think he lost that fumble uh, where it came out. But that to me was what it was always going to be about um, because, you know, Jared Goff has always been picked on over the years, you know, again, having some of those type of games, I'm trying to remember the one he had recently. Uh, that was that game. Um, they all kind of run together at this point, but I'm going to try to find it here. It was the, um, the game against the Cowboys. Right. And then of course he had a, a rough game against the bears, I think too, but 
you know, it, and so you're always wondering in these kind of games, the biggest game Detroit's had in so many years, um, you just don't want to beat yourselves. You want to give yourselves a chance. And I think the way they started the game, the way their defense played uh, in the second half, I mean, it all just came together, right? And they just have so many weapons. That's, again, what the thing about this Lions team is, you know, whether it's Montgomery, whether it's Gibbs, whether it's St. Brown, um, you know, even Josh Reynolds has become someone. And, and you know, Jameson Williams didn't have a big game, but just him being out there, Sam Laporta, like all these guys, we've just seen the development. We talked about that earlier, like with the Packers unit and all that. Um, you've got a few more established guys here, but just seeing how these other guys that have kind of burst onto the scene, making plays at key moments in this game. Um, and yeah, this was, this was a great one. And um, congrats to Detroit. Cause again, they've waited a long time for this. So. You know, we have focused a lot on the NFC here. So I do want to close up uh, on the AFC. Of course, the, the, with Buffalo beating Pittsburgh, that, Pittsburgh had opportunities, though. They moved the ball on Buffalo on Monday. Yeah. But jo- uh, Superman, Josh Allen, uh, the 52-yard run, I mean, just the acceleration he made in that one. And then the way they close out the game. And, of course, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. They went 26-7. to Andy Reid with the icicles of the mustache. And then, uh, and then Patrick Mahomes busted helmet. Of course, we know the Ravens are playing the Texans too. Uh, just you know, if you can kind of just put those four teams into like in, in one question, just what's your thoughts? You know, kind of going into divisional weekend with those four. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're the NFL, uh, you certainly love the fact that you're getting the Chiefs and the Bills. Um, just mm-hmm. given, you know, that is like the professional wrestling terms. Like that's your, you know, that that's your rock and Austin here. Um, that you've had kind of your your selling point over the past several years, and they just continue to be, you know, just I, I think it's going to be a great game. I'd be surprised if it's not, although I will say this also feels like one to me. I know the Chiefs played well against the Dolphins, um, but I just think the Bills are the better team right now, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be a big challenge for Kansas City to go in there, this particular team, I think, and win that game. And, of course, everybody's going to make a lot of it being Patrick Mahomes' first road game. And all that. It's the toughest one he probably could have drawn. Um, in all honesty, I think the way that the Bills are playing. Um, so the Ravens and the Texans, I mean, look, we talk about it's fun to look back because we know where this started for the Texans. It started in Baltimore against the Ravens. It started with, you know, CJ Stroud coming out, and that's the first game you have to the first team you have to play is the Ravens on the road, knowing the defensive schemes and all that stuff you're gonna face. And now you see the growth of him since that point. And you go in, you know, with nothing to lose here. The, the Texans have nothing to lose. No one thought they were ever going to be in the spot. Um, and as well as C.J. Stroud has played, I think the Texans absolutely have a chance here because we always say, what? The team that has to sit. It's always something we talk about in the NFL. We've seen it over the years. The team that is sitting back waiting while everybody else is just kind of going and going and going here. Um, yes, it's nice to have the buy, but sometimes we see that, um, it's not every year, but it happens. And so I think this, I would hope it's going to be a much better game than it was in week one. Uh, but I think both of these are very interesting when you look at, again, the matchups, how these two teams uh, are playing, obviously the odds would seem to favor a Ravens bills matchup most likely, um, you know, in the championship round, but I don't know. It's, you know, anytime you have Patrick Mahomes, you have a chance and who knows? Maybe in the future here, soon enough, we're going to start saying anytime you have C.J. Stroud, you got a chance because of how well he has played this season. So I think these are two very intriguing matchups. And uh, I'll let you go on this uh, NFC. The 49ers, of course, they're playing the Packers. 
on Saturday night. But you also have, you know, the Lions over there playing, and also uh, you have Tampa Bay. Do you see any of these three teams being able to knock off the 49ers? It's just, it's hard. I, I just don't see it. Um, yeah. Honestly, I think the Lions, and, and it makes sense, right? Just given the the match, I think the Lions have the best chance. But that again is one of those games where, boy, that's going to test everything for for Jared Goff in a matchup against that Niners team uh, on the road. That's just a, that's a tough one. And so, um, but I'm curious to see how these these games play out. I just, you know, the Packers. I'd like to to think that maybe they just ride this wave of momentum. But as we've seen this season, it's just the Niners are a different beast and. I think just, you know, for them, yes, like the Ravens, they, they've had to wait a little bit, but that actually may be a good thing for the Niners in terms of just getting healthy and getting everybody ready to go for this run. Um, and so I would probably say it in that order. Um, I'd probably say Lions have the best chance. Um, you know, I don't want to knock the, the Bucks though, either. I mean, I think the Bucks are an interesting team. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they again, they've maybe got the weapons if you're trying to break through, have some good games. Um to do it but i just it's going to be hard right because we've just seen how dominant these this 49ers team can be and i think with the setup getting these games at home um i i i probably am most interested in a in a niners lions game but who knows maybe just maybe philip this is the year where we get a packers lions nfc championship game the one the world has been waiting for for forever at this point and wouldn't that be a scene uh, if that were to happen so <laughs> well I, i'm going to lose all professionalism in this moment Blake, but in that moment <laughs> the packers will teach the lions who is the king of the north <laughs> once and yes. for all winter is but coming for the detroit there, lions there it is there it is but anyways uh Blake, it's been fun having you all talking all things uh wild card and kind of looking ahead to the divisional round if uh people out there want to check out where can they find you yeah, like you said, our Establish the Past podcast, you can find it any podcast app you use. You can also find it on YouTube uh, as well. So, yeah, we, we have a lot of fun on that, me and Dylan. So check it out there. And then, like we mentioned earlier, if you want the SEC stuff we do, uh, that's the Southeastern 14 on YouTube. And uh, everything else, I'm on Twitter at the Blake Level. All right, everybody, go check Blake out. He has a ton of work he's out there doing, a bunch of different stuff. Go check him out. And, Blake, appreciate your time. And I uh, look forward to when we can do this again sometime down the road. No, sounds good, Philip. Thanks, as always. All right, joining me next up here on the show, we're going to be doing these occasionally here throughout the offseason as we lead up to spring ball and just throughout the offseason. So check in on some some college teams. And uh, joining me right now, we're going to check in on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, Connor Goodson, of course, you can check them out over at the Razorbacks Wire. Uh, a great spot to go check out all things Arkansas Razorbacks. And they get other great teams, too, as well over there. But, uh, Connor, I appreciate you coming on. I know it's a snowy situation uh, over there uh, where you're at, but I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's always good to talk to you. And, yeah, we're uh, we're snowed in pretty much across the state of Arkansas right now. So there's not much to do than talk sports, really. Yeah. Uh, which when everybody hears this on Wednesday, uh, us out here in Southeast Alabama will be getting a, a cold spell. No snow for us, but still a uh, really cold situation we're really not used to. And, uh, yeah, as I said, I brought you on to uh, talk all things Arkansas football again and offseason. Uh, check in, just looking back at 2023, 4-8, 1-7, but so many close games, especially that first half of the year. Mm-hmm. A game or two – goes a different direction this whole season for them would be completely different but just kind of like a broad scope what happened in 2023 
Well, I don't think you can really talk about 2023 without talking about Arkansas's offense. I remember when we talked, I believe it was before the Auburn or maybe the Alabama week, Arkansas just needed to show some signs of life on offense because their offense had played decent enough, but the offensive line particularly had just struggled so bad uh, that you could tell that you know they were in danger of just kind of letting go of the rope and the season completely collapsing like we saw. And then I think the Alabama game, you know, losing that game by three, having chances towards the end to win on the road, that was kind of like their last gasp. Okay, well, we didn't do that. So now then you saw the historically awful performance against Mississippi State, seven to three at home. And that was kind of the the end of the season. And you could just really pinpoint everything back to the the hire of Danny Enos and just how that didn't really mesh. And there were, you know, there's rumors of, you know, how his relationship with the offensive line coach, Cody Kennedy, who's now at Mississippi State, just there were some underlying issues that just really kind of stopped Arkansas season from even getting off the ground, really. Um, and now you, you look ahead and it's like you kind of last year was the mulligan year and that was la- that was Pittman's last chance. And he's made some drastic swings this offseason. Uh but you still have a fan base that is just really disappointed and um, hurt emotionally. People are just done. They're, they're tired of being, you know, the laughing stock of the SEC, and they're tired of, you know, losing. And what, what's the fan base? What's what's the opinion right now with Sam Pittman? Because you know, I think some people probably outside of the state probably thought the way the season went, perhaps he was a, a coach that could have been let go at the end of the year. They bring him back, but. What's what's the temperature? What's the feeling with uh, Sam Pittman among the Arkansas fans? There's no question that he's entering this season on the hot seat, one thousand percent. You know, if you know Arkansas has a big game against Oklahoma State on the road, second game of the year. If Arkansas goes to Stillwater and gets embarrassed, it's there's a lot of feelings. I think there's some in the in the actual football department in the athletic department that say that's kind of a point of no return. Like it doesn't matter. You've used up all your mulligans. The fan base is completely, there's a segment of the fans that are done with Pittman. They don't care. He could go out and win seven, eight games this year, and they're still going to be unhappy. That's just, I mean, that's Arkansas fans for you. Some of them you can't really make happy, but I think that as embarrassing as this last year went, as high of the expectations there were with KJ Jefferson, with Rocket Sanders, and you just completely, crap the bed i think there's a a large segment of fans that are just done and you're gonna have to go out and win nine and compete in the sec for a title really to win those people back and then there's some that are more level-headed i'm kind of in the middle of it i i like sam Pittman. he's a great guy but at the end of the day it's results you've got to you've got to have results and you've got to show progress that you're not taking massive steps back and that's what we saw last year were you surprised that they brought him back I was a little bit just because I just I think the loss to Auburn, you can't get embarrassed by 30 something points on your home field by a team who's in a, you know, typically they're further behind schedule because, you know, it's first year, a few freeze. Um, There's still a lot of, you know, getting used to getting acclimated. It's not his players that he's brought in, really. I know it's a little bit different with the transfer portal, but still it's not the majority of his team is not his team, his guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sam Pittman's in, he was in year four. And to not 
really come out and perform in front of your home crowd. It was a really good crowd for a cold November day for a team that really can't make it to a bowl game at that point. Um, and then you have the, there was a story about the walk-ons watching the Polar Express at halftime on the TV in there. And so it's just like from the outside looking in, it's like a coach who's lost control of his locker room who may be in over his head. I thought that there was kind of, that was the time when you make a move. I understand the finances behind it. You know, he'd be owed 16 million if they did make a move, but I just felt like that maybe that was the time to do it. And I, I don't disagree with the decision because I understand it. It just feels like that there's some fans that you can't win back now and you're never going to get their support as long as he's head coach. And so it's, it's a tough spot, but I understand, I understand it. I just maybe would have made a move. You know, and I, I partially mean this in a joking way, but you know, I'm here in Alabama. I'm really not far from Auburn. Uh, it felt like too on, online, like I said, out people outside of Arkansas. They said, "Oh, if Arkansas fires Sam Pittman, will this finally be the time where Gus Malzahn uh, comes home?" Is that is that always just going to be a thing whenever an Arkansas coach is on the hot seat? As long as Gus Malzahn is up walking and he's you know he's breathing yeah. air, that he will be rumored to be the Arkansas oh, yeah. head coach. And I mean, just because his Ties, I, th- I believe he has a lot of family still here in the state. That That's always going to be the case. There's always going to be people in the Arkansas Athletic Department or boosters or with the Razorback Foundation that are going to advocate for Gus Malzahn. I don't know how accurate. There was some reports that they came to Arkansas Athletic Director Hunter Yurchek and said, okay, we will fork over money to – get rid of Pittman and, and pay his buyout if you go after Gus Malzahn for coach. I don't know how accurate that is. That could have been just, you know, people having pipe dreams or, or what, but it's always going to be the case. And, I mean, Gus Malzahn, if he wants, that's just a, an easy way to print money. Any job he's at for, from here on out, he can just say, hey, I might go back to Arkansas, use it, get get a new contract, get a raise, do whatever he needs to do to get done. And, um I mean, it's just they're always going to be neck and neck with each other, hand in hand. Um, It's just how it is. I don't ever see that actually being a realistic possibility. I think that if that was going to be the case, it would have happened way, way back. Yeah, that him getting, you know, new contracts off of the Arkansas rumors is what got him that one in 2017, which Auburn had to pay him a lot of money a few years later when they uh, when they passed on. So Sam Pittman's coming back. But we also have a former Arkansas head coach coming back, uh, the mm-hmm. offense coordinator, Bobby Petrino. Just your overall thoughts on that. I, I think Bob Petrino is a great offensive mind still. I think and, – and him and Jimbo I don't think was ever going to work just because no. you've got two offensive guys that are going to butt heads. Jimbo Fisher's always been the play caller, pretty much the offense coordinator wherever he's been as head coach. And then Bob Petrino is also you – know, th- these are two alphas. But yeah. hits with offense. But now you've got Petrino coming in. Of course, Sam Pittman is not going to be the same way with him. How successful do you think Bobby Petrino can be uh, here with Arkansas coming back as the offense coordinator? Well, I think that the the sky's the limit for an offense with Bobby Petrino, you know, running it. It's just the the other the relationships on staff, how it meshes well with, you know, who calls plays and and who's going to have control over the decisions in certain situations, like who's going to be the one to decide to go forward on fourth down. Because we saw a lot in his first 10 years, Arkansas's head coach, Bobby Petrino was aggressive and he's always kind of had that aggressive mindset. So does Sam Pittman, you know, give over control. But I think that I agree with you hundred percent. 
Bobby Petrino is a genius when it comes to offense. He's a great offensive mind. It's just always been the other stuff. It's whether it's, you know, his relationships with administration and his relationships with players, his relationships with coaches on his own staff. I mean, that's always going to be the the thing that holds him back from, you know, being able to to do things well and at a high level and, and stay at one place for longer than, you know, a season or two. But I think that Sam Pittman kind of, again, trying to win back a lot of the fans get, and you also have a high level offensive mind. It was a win, win, win for everyone. Everyone loves Bobby Petrino still, even though after everything that happened, there's a large segment of fans. I shouldn't say everyone loves him, but there's a large <laughs> segment of fans that still love Bobby Petrino just because he had so much success. Arkansas hasn't had that level of success since he's left. So I think that, you know, there's still a lot to do adding pieces from the portal, the offensive line. It doesn't matter who was calling plays last year. The offensive line was so bad that I don't think you could have done anything to kind of game plan around it. So that's the big question mark. But anytime Bobby Petrino is calling plays, drawing up plays, um, I think Arkansas has a chance to to compete and, and shock some people. Yeah, and I think some people have forgotten in 2011, of course, remember Alabama and LSU played twice that year. I mean, they were, without doubt, the best two teams in the country yeah. that season. But you could make an argument. Arkansas was the third-best team because the only two teams they lost to were those two teams. Yeah. And I still remember because I believe that's when still – yeah, it was when we still had LSU and Arkansas on that Friday, the last week of the regular season. Little LSU blew out Arkansas. It got away from, I believe, in the second half of that, if my memory is correct. But yeah. Arkansas was a game away from playing in the SEC championship game and potentially getting to the BCS title game. And then who who knows what would have been the game, the title game, if they had done that. So you're right. I mean, what he did with that team, Ryan Mallett and Tyler Wilson mm-hmm. after that, just tre- tremendous head coach. And, uh, you know, Bielema had a little bit of that after, mm-hmm. but never to that level that Bob Petrino yeah. got them to. And I think that that's just what fan, fans don't need to – uh, in Arkansas, I think a large segment of fans have realistic expectations. We're never going to be year in, year out title contenders uh, unless there's just unless the state of Arkansas just starts producing insane high level prospects, you know, left and right. Until that happens, which probably will never happen, Arkansas is just going to have to have realistic expectations of you know have seven or eight wins a season. And then the occasional nine, ten, you know, maybe sneak into the SEC championship. Um, and now with the twelve-team playoff, you know, have aspirations of making the playoff on those really good years and maybe winning a few, going on a run. Who knows? Who knows how it's going to play out with the twelve team? But I think a large segment of fans have those, you know, tempered expectations where you know seven, eight wins a year is not too much to ask. It's really not. Just these four year wins i mean it's just it's you can't win four games in year four of a head coach you just can't and that's where a lot of the frustration is because we were embarrassed not too long ago with chad morris as head coach and then you have all these expectations a non-win season 2021 and then a little bit of a disappointing year last year and so expectations were through the roof again because hey he learned what he did wrong and it all just comes collapsing down again you just can't do that but i think that uh, I think fans have realistic expectations, and it's not too much to ask to just be competent and be competitive. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I even remember, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the Houston Nut days where yeah. there's a time where they were at least in the conversation in November for the SEC West back then. So they were winning yeah. eight games, eight, nine games. Of course, that's when the West was kind of the lesser division. The East was kind of like the top dog. But, you know, you talk about KJ. Saban. Do what now? Before Saban came to the yeah. West. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, which – we discussed him last week. We, we, you know, he's gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have to talk about that. Yeah, the Saban dynasty is uh, is gone now. But uh, you talked about Cajun Jefferson earlier. Of course, he hit the portal. He's going to UCF to play mm-hmm. with Gus yeah. Mazan, which I think that's a great fit with those oh, two. Yeah. Yeah, that's Florida. a really good move for him. Now, they bring in Boise quarterback, uh, Taylor Green. Do you see him as the favorite to be the quarterback? And just how do you see that quarterback situation for Arkansas going into the spring? Yeah, you've got Taylor Green and Jacoby Criswell are going to be really going into spring, the two battling out for that quarterback position. I think just because Bobby Petrino kind of handpicked Taylor Green, he kind of went out and made sure that he got his guy. Just because of that, I think Taylor Green has a slight edge over um, Jacoby Criswell coming into spring. And I think that he can be the guy that wins the job. It's just, you know, Boise, it's a little bit of step down of competition coming from Boise to the uh, to the SEC, or I should say it's a step up in competition. Uh, but how does he handle that? He was a little inconsistent, struggled with, you know, making the right plays, taking care of the ball, you know, consistent level. And for Arkansas to be successful, he's going to have to do that. You can't allow teams to take advantage of you and turn you over too much. Uh, so that I think that'll be interesting. He does hold a slight advantage, like I said, but don't count out Jacoby Criswell. I think that he's been a backup long enough. He's tired of being the backup. Um, so I think that he could really, you know, attack spring practices and really say, hey, I'm I'm here to be the guy. And so I think that that's going to be really interesting and something to keep an eye on how those two, you know, compete for the for the starting job. Yeah, and obviously that's what everybody's going to pay attention to because when your quarterback leaves either graduation or transfer, you know, okay, who's the next guy? So that's always going to be a big storyline going to spring. Outside quarterback, what do you see as the big storyline for Arkansas going into spring practice? Well, I think this one goes hand-in-hand with the quarterback, but the offensive line, I mean, one of the worst units in the entire country last year was Arkansas's offensive line. I mean, you bring in Eric Mateos, who was a grad assistant under Pittman a while back. He's been at uh, BYU and Baylor and has had a great track record of coaching high-level guys. Um, you bring in some some high-level offensive line transfers. I just talked to uh, Addison Nichols, the Tennessee transfer, for a story. You know, they're saying all the right things. They're doing all the right things. Um, it seems like everyone's mindset's, you know, unified and, and they're all, you know, focused and, and ready to attack spring and get better and, and kind of go out and make amends for the embarrassing season last year. But obviously, every team is going to have players that are saying the right things, doing the right things. You just at this point, I think a lot of fans are similar to me. You've got to see it on the field. Like we can, we can see spring practices, we can see you know improvement in the spring game. But at the end of the day, what are you going to do when you go to Stillwater second game of the year? What are you going to do when you play Tennessee? When you play LSU? When you play Auburn? What are you going to what's what's going to be your mindset and your attitude and how you perform in those games. And until we get to the season, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of fans that are, you know, just sold on coach speak and, you know, words and, and all that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously Arkansas is going to be a team to pay attention to uh, as we head to spring ball, which I tell people we're in mid January, just to college football only fans. 
Mm-hmm. Spring practice is not really that far away, about a month and it's a half for a lot of these teams start practicing again. Some teams, you know, there's some teams out there that, that will start in late February. So yeah. it's right around the corner. So it's going to be interesting with Arkansas. And uh, Connor, I appreciate you coming on the show as always. Take the time to talk all things Arkansas football. If the listeners and viewers want to check you out online, where can they find you? Uh, at uh, Razorbacks Wire, of course, is where I do a lot of the daily writing. I also um, am working with bestofarkansasports.com now. Um, I'm doing a lot more work with them where it's more longer form, big picture stories. But uh, either one of those, you can check me out on Twitter at Connor Goodson, um, all one word. So that's, that's where you can find me. All right, everybody, go give Connor uh check him out if you want to see what's going on with the Razorbacks. And uh, once again, Connor, I appreciate the time and I look forward to talking to you sometime down the road. Same, man. I really appreciate you having me. All right. Once again, thanks to both my guests, Blake Lovell and Connor Goodson, for coming on the show. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. Uh, have two awesome guests planned for Friday. Then next week, uh, we go to one episode a week. We'll be coming to you on Wednesdays, uh, usually around lunchtime, around 12 o'clock on video-wise over on Wiregrass Daily News Facebook page and my YouTube channel and um, some of my other social media platforms as well. And our audio will be up as well. But we will be back on Friday, and then next week we start with one episode a week. But anyways, I appreciate you guys taking out the time to check out the show. Remember you can follow me on social media at P. Jordan SEC. Podcasts are available on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. It means a lot if you do that. If you leave a review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can also check out the show over at wiregrassdailynews.com. And as I mentioned, over at my YouTube channel, Philip Jordan Sports. Talk to you guys on Friday. Stay warm, uh, everybody. It's it's cold out there, especially uh, people here in the Wiregrass area, uh, southeast Alabama. A lot of places it's cold. So, uh, So stay warm. Uh, over these next few nights. But anyways, I will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, bye-bye.